0: Welcome back to another episode we're really excited to have you back thank you so much for listening we are here every thursday i'm your host bruce from printavo we've got steven Ferry out of campus inc and mr matt marcotte out of printavo hq aka his basement
1: yeah, yeah. are you in the basement matt always it's my dungeon
2: they lock me down here <laughs> how's your flood matt all better that was that was uh, really
0: they fixed it you you had a you had a pretty bad uh, chris we're going to have to queue up the video right here matt can send it to you mm-hmm. but it yeah was, we it an was unplanned water man. feature in waterfall. our front, in our front room <laughs>
2: uh, yeah we got real real lucky i'll be completely honest so uh, my stepson he decided shower time he said he wanted to take a bath that's fine he's 8 he can run his own bath So you know where the overflow drain is in your tubs at that little like silver disc? Well, for those of you who don't know, it's silver disc the very bottom underneath it. It's actually open. And so when the water level gets to that, it drains into your tub drain to make sure your tub can't overflow. Well, looks like when they installed that overflow drain, this is a new house. They didn't connect it correctly. We didn't know that was the issue. He took a bath and I was down here on a call and like eight o'clock went upstairs and there's just water coming from our ceiling, just like drip, 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 all over the place. So I drill holes. We had a couple buckets down. I had a good four or five inches of water in these buckets just from my ceiling. Not good. So called the builder. Um, he came out the next morning with a plumber, and they started cutting open the ceiling drywall. Uh, and it's a
0: feature, Matt, not a bug. It's a feature, right? Not a bug. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was, <laughs> it was. it
2: was. part of the build. Oh, water feature in your living room. That's normal. Um, the, the aftermarket mold's going to really help, right? Um, so. We, we did some hunting. I turned off the water, so we didn't have water in the house for a good, like, 16, 17 hours. So getting ready in the morning without running water, you forget how dependent you are on such a simple thing. Um, but we figured out that was the issue after a good, like, two to three hours of trying to figure out what the issue was. Because he was like, oh, it couldn't be that. So we just didn't even look at that. That was it. So it was actually a pretty quick fix for the, for the plumber to actually go in. He had to, he had was We cut the ceiling open anyway, so he went up there and changed the pipe sure. size, reseated it. Um, we've got Do a bunch of big some, holes in my some in standard my,
1: procedures now for taking a bath. Like, don't fill it up past this line.
2: Oh, we totally scared the crap out of it. We brought him down like, look what you did. He's like, oh, God. I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it, it actually worked out in, it pretty well because we have a one year warranty in the house. And we moved in in August of last year. So because it was in that one year, it was nice. 100% covered by the builder's
0: Bruce, warranty.
1: How's the warranty going on your water problems in Chicago? Nice. Yeah,
0: we've got a water feature also um comes with the house uh it's a nice uh, irrigation system drip drip it's pretty bad i i feel like every homeowner though has some sort of water story as i've come to it, it's almost like a dad chat you know people are on the lawn and, and and just chit-chatting back and forth on the weather or whatever small talk there is and then water comes up and everybody's like oh you you know back you should have saw last year and it's just Ours is also never-ending, it seems. There's been four different spots, but... Yeah, if you
1: own a home in Chicago, you probably have water problems.
2: Well, yours is a condo, too, right? So how how does that land on you and not the condo association? Because Bruce is the condo association. Well, it is the condo
0: association. (laughs) association on the roof. Right? Coming from the roof, it is. But because it's inside my unit, you know, it's three people in this building. So... It's a, it's what's called a three flat in Chicago. There's just three condos units you know, on top of each other. But w- what are you gonna do? Like I'm technically the president of the HOA association. <laughs> Downstairs is the treasurer who collects the HOA payments, <laughs> and that's it. So, yeah, I have charge to yourself more. Do Bruce. something about it. Did you raise your <laughs> rates? Yeah, we need to we need to get on the premium, three forty nine plan.
1: Um, <laughs> There's Zapier integrations with that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So power schedule coming things. for the water feature soon.
0: Before we jump too far in here, uh first thing, the I got so many text messages about the Alex Phelan Teespring story. I don't know if you guys watched that one that we recorded with him. Uh crazy, crazy story, especially when it gets to the part we're talking about black hoodies. We'll drop a link down below too if you if you haven't watched it, but you know, black hoodies just completely soaking up the whole inventory of them across the nation. Um you know, growing, uh, doubling every single month for a couple of years—I mean, just like nuts growth. Steven on shirt show—that was awesome. I listened to it. I
2: haven't listened to that one yet. I love you, Stephen. I, oh. I, I, I it's 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 hard to keep up with all the different things. That's uh, it's on my my queue There's for next. There's literally
0: only two podcasts Look, in the industry. Podcast
1: life Matt. means you have to support other podcasts or relevant There's ones.
0: There's two podcasts in the industry. There's are more. Are there more?
2: I mean, I think there's. I think there's more. I think you're you're cutting out a lot of a lot of people there. But uh, are you saying that really? it's, just, it's just shirt showing us. Who else? else? Who, else
0: <laughs> who else posts regularly? Not in a negative way. I'm just saying I don't think there's any other people that I, I know there's people that have started and then stopped. There's a lot yeah, of really cool vlogs and like YouTube, uh, um, you know, videos and things going on in people's shops.
2: I just have a hard time with the three-hour episodes. Was yours three hours, Stephen?
0: Oh yeah, it
1: was awesome. We hung. It was great.
2: That's that's the hard. I'm not working in a shop every day anymore, where I'm like just like grinding and can like listen. I'm I'm nerding out with Printavo uh, folks all day and uh,
1: talking to users, so it's it's hard for me. Well, and Andy and Dylan, if you're listening to this, just go ahead and delete Matt's episode. Just delete <laughs> it. just go ahead and delete, delete it. You know, I thought just it was longer too,
0: but it when I get up about a third of the way through, I was like, oh, this is you know it 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 ramped up. Um but it was interesting. there was a couple topics. I actually wanted to bring something up. Uh, you you guys got into question of growth and long-term thoughts and like, you know, what you want long term or if you even know what you want long term. And there was like a big discussion of, do you Are you growing it to keep growing it? Are you growing it to be more profitable and, and satisfy your lifestyle? Are you growing it to sell it? Um, it seemed like nobody really knew, but did you have any changes from what you had talked about in that episode, Steven? It's, it's always
1: a question that you, it's hard to answer, right? Andy said it best, for a certain price, everything is for sale. Mm-hmm. We joked about it a couple of weeks ago if Jeff Bezos knocked on our door we're all for sale. Sure, mm-hmm. if you'll write us a blank check. Yes. And I guess it's it's at what point is that number worth it to you? Are you ready to A move on to something else or B you've now packaged your business up and the prize is that wow, someone's actually going to buy this thing that you've built. Um, but when you get the question, Bruce, it's like, uh, you know, it's probably like the question like, Bruce, you know, when do you, have, when do you want to have kids? You know, I, I don't know, Bruce, like how, how would you answer that? Right. It's a, it's a question that soon, uh, maybe, I don't, know, Bruce, how would you answer
0: that? Uh, Chris actually asked me about this yesterday <laughs> and that's why I bring this up. Um, no, I, is, it's a it's a good question. I I find that what's difficult is everybody who started a business started it because of that mentality, you know, to grow or be on their own or whatever. And in it, I I think the question is when does that stop? And I feel like it doesn't stop until you are physically stopped from investing more into it. And maybe that's because of a growing family. Maybe that's because you're just tired. Um, but there's something that 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 shifts it later, or else, you know, when is enough enough? I I don't I don't see anybody who really started a business that said that would say I'm a good here until they hit some sort of point. There was some there. I think there was some event that happened. Maybe they got exhausted or whatever happened that that pivoted off that says actually I'm good here.
2: I have a hard I time think, picturing either of you stopping, knowing you both as well as I do. I have a hard time picturing you both like if somebody if if Bezos showed up tomorrow with with a check and and bought it, I'm sure you'd go for it, but I can't imagine what like two to three weeks later would look like for either of you like you could probably take a minute and chill, but I think you'd both go crazy not having not having your outlet of running your companies and like being all into that'd be really interesting you would, to see, like, you how, would totally how you want back from you
1: there. would totally want to start something else, but I think the the question is are businesses in our industry sellable like are they transferable are they at a point where they're actually worth something and i think that's that's a hard question to answer because most often the owners are the operators and they're such an important part of the business that when you remove them you're like sucking lifeblood out of the business and the business could turn into nothing overnight you know, now, print I think print shops, especially, I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Where shops like, "Oh yeah, I'm selling," or "I'm getting
2: taken over by somebody else." We get a nice buyout, and that customer base doesn't retain right. It, once that sale happens, you lose at least usually a third, and then from there, most of the time, it was relationship build. So when I see on Facebook, like, "Oh, I'm selling my my book of clients," I'm always really really hesitant about that because that doesn't mean they're going to stick with you. There's no there's no guarantee they're going to stay. So. It's a, it's a yeah. good point. Stephen. I don't know if a lot of print shops really are sellable unless they get to like a massive scale where it's just kind of set and repeat. But for most shops, it's, it's really the, the, the relationship with the owner or whoever's in charge that, that kind of helps foster that that business. Yeah, I
1: think if the owner is involved to the day to day and they play such an important role to that, your business isn't really worth much.
0: It's a risk to the buyer for sure. It's a
1: risk to the buyer. Right. And so really your business is worth the equipment. At liquidation value, right, in um,
0: some sort of multiple of probably sales, but it doesn't have to be a multiple up. It could be down too. Right, it could, it could be, be a mul- like fifty percent of.
1: Right, it, it could also be junk work that you don't want. I've seen some huge shops that are, you know, doing so much contract printing on pennies that are just spinning their mm-hmm. wheels. Um, Been there. So I, th- I think I think that's a, it's a hard thing to think about. But I think shops should always start thinking about, like, what's the exit strategy? Is it uh, transferred to a younger owner? You know, like in my shoes, there was kind of a, a succession plan. Um, is it to a child? Is it to employees? I've, I've heard and I've seen. Um, because the last thing you want to see your business do is fail after you leave it. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to be tied to it forever. That's like a shackle. Um, that, that's a shackle, literally. And I think that's, you know, in our industry, I think we're starting to see that as as older owners are saying, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And that's why there's this huge need to say, okay, how do I automate? How do I hire VAs? How do I turn this into a little bubble that I can watch instead of like be inside every day? Um, I think so, I don't the know. thought
0: is, can you grow to a point where you are an owner and not an operator? Because there is definitely a gray area of you just have to do everything. And then, you know, you hire people to take things on, but then you really don't get there until I think you have actual managers, managing contributors that you can step back a bit and be more of an owner and have probably a better lifestyle that you had imagined early on. But that, I mean, it could be 10 years.
1: I was just talking to Adam about this, um, who's gonna be, you know, a, a partner of ours, but we were talking a little bit about burnout and owner's burnout. And we've ventured into this new part of our business where we're doing a ton of Shopify and big brand management and stuff, and it's it's awesome. It's extremely hard. It's extremely taxing. And I was just kind of saying, like, we make a mess, we clean it up, we automate it, and then we figure out the next thing. And so, you know, I was kind of showing him, hey, we're like four to five months out from really automating this piece of our business, and I know you're playing such an imperative role on the day to date of it, but there's a bigger picture. Um, but what i was saying is you have to get to a point where you could take a month off and that part of the company can run and until you're at that point then you're not you're not sustainable yet and you're going to feel that burnout you're going to feel overextended you're going to feel like you're doing payroll at night taxes in the morning and then putting out fires all day and that is not sustainable that is not a healthy healthy entrepreneurship you know entrepreneur's but but lifestyle. you can
2: also kind of be a little more patient when you are part ownership right so you've talked about like having a succession plan or having employees that are also part owners have equity in the in the business i think that goes a long way when when you own a small piece of the pie even a small piece right it's it's on you to help make sure it succeeds and i think that, that definitely helps drive i mean Stephen, if you weren't the owner one of the owners right would you be working half as hard as you are probably not you'd be working on three or four other things that, that would occupy your mind and your need to do something. So I think having people own something, even a small percentage of it can really do a lot. So I'd be curious to see how many shops out there actually have some sort of like equity plan of saying, hey, you are part business owner in this. Let's let's try to ramp you up. Because so I think that that would definitely have a lot of help with with getting them to Knuckle down, do the work, and actually understand there was a plan to execute and
1: not just show up day in and day out and just clock in and clock out. You know, I might disagree a little bit. I was actually talking to Jed a little bit about this, uh, and he said, you know, bars do this a lot, where, like, they'll take the GM, who they really like, and say, all right, you're an owner now. You better be here all the time, from open to closed to 3 a.m. to whatever, and then all of a sudden the building needs a new roof where the air conditioner goes out well, you just gave that person equity and now you're going to say, hey, I need you to come pay for this or you have to come help me out with this. I don't know if it's up to the employees to necessarily have to deal with that or have to be invested in that because you could also dangle a carrot out that never pays off. right? I think it might even be better to have really, really strong like KPIs, a really strong tracking system, and a scoreboard and metrics and then incentivizing your team and rewarding them. Right. So if it's your production manager, it's, you know, on, you know, cost of goods and profitability and, 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 and output and making sure there's like really good bonus involved. I was talking to Bruce about this, like in the trading world, stock traders and, and people that work in, in fintech, I mean, they're paid out huge bonuses, totally based on performances. And oftentimes they never own a piece of the company, but they're well tracked and well compensated. I don't know. Bruce, what do you think?
0: Um, you know, it's interesting when we first, when I first tried to implement traction, I gave everybody a different number and we talked about that number every single week in our weekly meetings with that department and people after the second or third week began to talk about their number like it was their little baby almost and um, specifically on customer care, there, there's two metrics. One is average customer response time. And then we also said answered phone calls to total phone calls received ratio. And people would bring these numbers up again and again, like, oh, shoot, but that's going to hurt. Um, first response time, what do you think? Is that okay or not? And when people started to bring that up, it was really interesting because they, they did care a lot about it. Um, but I do think... I th- for us in the software world, there's pieces I feel like of a pie to create strong employee motivation. Um, part of it is that ownership aspect. Part of it is the freedom and autonomy to to like do stuff that that they find is valuable. I think part of it is definitely compensation. I mean, we're we are in a competitive space, and so and then part of it is we did create like an an, an equity pool um, for, you know, Matt and for everybody else at Printavo to, to participate in. That equity doesn't mean anything, uh, truthfully, un- unless the company, you know, bonuses out distributions or something or like purchases it back or somebody purchases the company, um, or technically if it goes public, I don't think we're doing that. So, Printavo um, IPO. <laughs> but but like my thought was <clears throat> i did want everybody to think more aligned as so when you have three options you know of what should i be doing today that you're very aligned with the same motivation that i'm thinking of is it perfect no but you know i thought that that slice of giving out was worth uh, more as we continue to grow the company That was our thought, but the the other side is we are also in a very competitive world with um, engineering talent and hiring technical talent, and so you just you you do have to offer quite a bit to attract good people. Um, But it's interesting, like for sure, it's interesting to think about. I mean, you were doing some of the bonus stuff, though. Do you still do that with mistakes specifically? You had like the bonus jar. So I think
1: um, when I was, I think there's there's a point in what's like middle management. And that's, I think, where shops struggle a lot is creating that tier of middle management. When I was middle management, I was having to play a ton of like iterated games with different departments to say, okay, marbles in the jar for good prints, mistakes take marbles out, bonuses, S&S bucks, all that. Because I didn't have the ability to track everything day by day and I would have to just like put something there, go try something else over here. You know, I I was constantly running around in circles. I think in the last year... Post COVID, or since you know we've had the reset button, we've made a conscious decision to hire middle management, um, really, really trained professionals that have experience from other industry that are that were managers elsewhere, and that can bring to the table more than I can do, right? And so we draw on you know uh, Justin, who's worked for us, who came from hospitality. You know, yeah, he needs to learn about printing and, you know, the technical side of it. But as far as conflict resolution, dealing with customers, keeping the guys there, having a happy shop, cooking out on Fridays, you know, making sure everything's buttoned up in the shop. He's the reason that I don't have to be there every single day. And that's where I'd say, all right, Matt, I need you to help Justin learn the technical side. But Justin brings the soft skills of just being a, a great people person, you know and he keeps the piece there. And if there's a fire, he's on it. Um, you know, we were shipping a pallet to Arizona and he was dealing with, you know, the LTL and and everything. And, you know, he wasn't done until it was delivered. And that was just, I was like, wow, what, what would happen if I had to do that right now? So I think it goes to say like, you know, your shop's only sustainable if you have really good managers. And if you are the manager, I don't know if if your business is necessarily sustainable because if you remove yourself from it, it doesn't doesn't rock the same way, you know? I don't know.
0: Yeah, not yet. Did you guys do any bonus structure at Second City Prints, Matt? Uh,
2: kind of. We, the great end-of-the-year bonus structures and things like that based on different, different performance. A lot of that was more for the middle management. There really wasn't when it came down to, like, the... The, the standard employee, I would just do reviews every couple of weeks and like kind of give them goals I wanted them to hit. And then that would kind of affect their end of year raise and their, their bonus structures. But um, as, as a manager, yeah, we did have uh, different KPIs we had to hit. And then we hit bonus structures from that. Um, so yeah, we definitely did. And then when I ran Target, we definitely did that through, we, I mean, we had like 100 employees. So I uh, had to go through and really put a plan together to keep everybody around, keep them happy. Uh, A lot of hard-to-hit goals that if they hit, they'd get rewarded very handsomely, but oftentimes it all fall a little bit short, so I could kind of toggle down what that bonus would actually be.
1: question for you, because I'll get questions from shops saying, like, how do I track this? How do I track commission? How do I track waste? How do I track spoilage? How do I track how fast they're printing? At those shops that you ran that were pretty large, y'all tracked a lot of stuff. How much of it was manual? I mean... (laughs) Most of it, to be completely honest, and, and almost I think all of it. That's the light bulb that has to go off in small shops. Tracking is manual work. There's not some program that's just going to track everything for you. No, you're going to need to run pivot tables every week. You're going to have to have clipboards out there. You're going to have to have manual work. And if you think it's hard, you're losing money by not at least trying to track it, right? Like at least trying to get a metric. You know, we listened to Michelle Moxley when she talks about what they did, you know, at the factories of waste and it was a lot of manual tracking, but the data you pull from it is so powerful. And so I think if a shop's listening to this, it's, you know, pick one thing or two things that you can track that are easy to track or like you could easily write out a five step to how to track it and start just like keeping a point. It might even be. You know what your mnr says every day for impressions or, mm-hmm. or prints right? i
2: mean i would have end of the day i have to go around look at every press write down the numbers i'd have i'd have temp people i'd, I'd hire in and have them just sit there and with stopwatches and time things watch somebody else and time things pay them 12 13 bucks an hour to there for the entire day and just notate things Be like thanks for the day you're good send them home after that and just try to get as much data as you could then exactly what you said just go ahead and put it in a spreadsheet start analyzing it, and evaluating it, figuring out where you can increase production, cut waste, cut, cut time, all that stuff. But most of, most of my day jobs at those, those places were of course, handling the people, keeping them happy, moving things around, and then just collecting data, looking at it and trying to figure out how to uh, maximize efficiency and, and move forward. There definitely wasn't enough automation. I mean, especially, I mean, we're talking 2010, um, yeah, 2010 is when I first started running uh, that shop, I was there for five years. A lot of the stuff we have today, Zapier, all that stuff, that wasn't even really a
1: thing yet. So a lot more that had to be manual that I think it could be now. Bruce, you've been to a lot of big shops, right? And you've seen you've met with owners of some massive
0: shops. What are they doing on a day-to-day? <laughs> um it's interesting. Uh so there's one really large one um, we've been working with here that I've just been honestly going to to learn from uh, a ton. Um, the owner is is not like technical uh, screen printer. He's very good salesperson. He's a very good relationship person, um, and he's totally front of office focused. They don't even have a sales team. Um, you know, they have 400 people. It's pretty big operation. I will say what's really interesting about you talking about manual stuff is they're all manual, you know, paper, moving things, copying this into there. This VA does that move this around. Like, so, uh, pretty, pretty manual process. I'd say that from, from what I'd seen just because, you know, there's nothing there to, to help them do what they want. And it's a pretty complex operation. Uh, but the, he's totally focused on on being very high level. Now, there's another shop that we've been to um, that you guys have been to as well, which I won't say the name, but very on the floor, like very floor focused, really loves screen printing clearly and is on there, buying new equipment, trying to optimize, you know, walking around all the time, very operational focused and and loves the printing aspect and they have a more of a a sales team now granted he also though knows high level he's able to like zoom in and and out very well and he can be high level knows kpis and numbers and be able to do um sales there and then also likes going to the floor and doing that because he you know he loves the the art of screen printing too but um but what they have in common is they're both amazing business people like They know how to leverage debt if they need. They know how to work with uh, salespeople. They know how to motivate people. They know how to drive KPIs. They know how to get people together like 100%. And then the hobbyist ask side of it is, you know, whether they like screen printing or not or other aspects. But um, very KPI-driven. I mean, it's like they're they're basically running traction for the most part and, and making sure that the numbers are all lining up. Because their costs are so astronaut. Like their overhead is uh, like insane. I, we're talking millions of dollars, right? And the margin gets skinnier and it's hard to really squeeze out. The the real way to squeeze out more profit for them is we got to get more efficient. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, just to quickly pivot, actually, this article came up and I thought this related more to you, Stephen, In promomarketing.com, talking about how college athletes are gearing up for merchandise after the NCAA ruling. Um, The ruling, I I read a little bit more about it, watched a couple videos. It's a little bit confusing, but basically it's stating that athletes can sell their image and or likeness, um, but... You know, it is a weird question of the compensation, but it sounds like it's related to that they can sell the aspect of them being an athlete, which they couldn't do before. You obviously being on college campuses, what kind of business opportunity or I, I know immediately when this happened, students minds like, you know, Exploding. where do I sell? Where do I get in? How do what do I do? What's your thoughts on this? What are you guys planning with this? Yeah, so
1: we've been uh, we've been working on this for quite some time. Um, so name, image, and likeness is essentially the ability to monetize uh, if you're an athlete. It could be um, an autograph signing, it could be um, an, in, you know, an endorsement, it could be a shoe deal, uh, it could also be merch, right? Now the one caveat is that you can't use their name, image, and likeness in congruence with the marks of the school they play at. So for instance, um, we're at Illinois. I can't use one of the player, you know, say a player wants to monetize and, and sell his jersey. He can't do that right now today. So um, what we've done is, is we've actually been working with several players and actually signing them, um, working on contracts. We've got attorneys working on it to create brands for them. Essentially, they have a target audience. They have a market, and we are going to help them co-market and sell merch. Um, through limited releases, through drops, through a lot of the Shopify branding that we're doing. And um, we actually, uh, on Friday, we have like a tour day at the shop. We're bringing players in. Their parents are coming in. A lot of them don't have agents and and things like that. So we're just helping them a lot with the process. Um, And then also protecting them in the sense that uh, making sure we do our due diligence because uh, they can get in a lot of trouble if they don't report something correctly. And if they do something wrong. So I'm spending a lot of time. My business partner was at the press conference with the university, meeting with the athletic directors, just making sure we were all on the same page. And since we've done it, we've now started to be hit up from um, different influencer level, like athletes from across the country. So we've probably got a dozen or so we're working on right now. Um, Can't announce them yet, but uh, they will be, we'll be releasing that soon. So yeah, it's, it's, it fits our niche. It fits our target audience. It's what we do. It's all e-commerce. I don't know. It doesn't seem too hard for us.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it makes total sense. You've got, you know, like the Tiger Woods logo, right? And that's their branding, and they push that. You've got Tom Brady's thing, and um, Marshall Lynch, I think, has that. They're talking about beast mode gear, uh, which they sell. Like, why couldn't... Um, you know anybody else create their logo and start selling it
1: yeah i think a lot of the conversations i've been having with um with them has been hey i know you have an audience but we really need this to pop off and so that's where adam like my business partner really comes into the picture and is very good at like creative marketing with influencers Um, and really laying out a plan if we want this to drop this is how it's going to go we've got to do a photo shoot ahead of time we have to go on Instagram live, you know, it's not, you know, the shirt is the last part of the equation. You got to like train Uh, them to like market themselves. A lot of times they just, they might be really good athletes, but that's all they can really do.
2: Right. So you're giving them an opportunity, but you're also having to really invest time, energy and effort and really probably not only train them, but just run it for them. But correct. uh, That's that's where you don't have the name they do, but you get to split those, split the revenue with them just because you're going to be doing all that heavy lifting.
0: agency model type where you know where it's like 15 percent of whatever sold we're taking because you you are up fronting a lot of work here i mean listing all of that stuff and guiding them and you know it is Handled. it's a it's a significant upfront load
1: yeah i mean we know what happens when we when we lean into a good influencer um an influencer is not going to put up much money because there's a lot of people out there that'll do it what's going to make it difference is all the stuff besides the t-shirt And so that's where we leverage a lot of our, our creative, like creative resources. And we like, we stimulate and we create business out of it and we make money on the backside. Um, And that's just the gamble that I take. We do, we're working on contracts um, that it is like a 12 month deal that, you know, this is how many releases we want to do. These are what we want to hit. There's a lot of little things that I'm trying to just make sure we double check um, before we really dig into it. But you know if someone comes to me and says i have fifty thousand followers I, I i'm gonna figure out how to sell merch with them
0: totally before i don't do sleep the P- on the influencers that's for before sure. i
1: do the pto you right. know we have TikTokers that we work with that have a couple million followers and it's just like you just have to work with them it's not that bad and you don't the cool part is you don't know where it's going to pop off and matt mm-hmm. you might know this from second city but mm-hmm. you one influencer leads to another influencer and you don't know where you hit gold and some of those orders go crazy overnight uh and matt can speak a little bit to that oh <laughs> the, yeah at second city i mean stevie he's still got a
2: a different model than i've ever seen but he was heavy into the into the youtube content and had youtubers and i had never even heard of these people i mean granted i'm in my mid-30s i'm not watching youtube content like 12 year olds are but um these people are like who, who the hell are these people and you go look and they'd have like one day they have five million followers and like you'd look a week later they have 15 million followers before you know it you're printing the same damn shirt week in week out you're like oh there's 25,000 shirts i have to get out in a week and they have five print locations oh, oh my god okay the next you get those done the next week you got 50,000. you got to get those done and before you know it, you've got a 10 20 30 million dollar client that is just a youtuber right And, um, and you, and you and I, sh- I didn't see it I didn't see it coming and it, it's crazy to think that that's what happened.
1: And shops will ask me like do you charge them to build the store? No. I don't charge them to build the store because I live for the when they pop off you know I, I create a zero friction when working with influencers make it as easy as possible get them to trust us. And once they trust us and we put money into their pockets, they're here for the team. You know, they
2: hopefully won't go anywhere when they do pop. Right. Because that's that's how you do it. If you're if you're kind of a pain in the ass with them and you're you're, you're kind of working with them, kind of helping them out and they pop. They're going to go, OK, well, I got enough money to pay a bigger corporation to do this and do all the work for me. I got to move on. Right. But if you're right. if you're if you're handholding the entire process. Yeah, there's a return on that investment and maybe out of. Every 30, you have one pops, but that one pop might be massive enough to make it, make it worth all that, and they're not going to go anywhere when they do get that big. And that happens in the music industry all the time. You see that where small-time labels, and they are die hard with their print shop, and that print shop is living on, on that one basket, right? And then they get signed. They get a 360 deal where uh, a big-name corporation takes over everything they get. They have to take their merch, everything. The, the band can choose not to do that. They can, they can argue out of it, but why would they When that big corporation is going to pay for everything and do the work for them. Right. Right. So they don't care. It, it happens all the time. So I think you're in the right model of we're going to foster them, grow them. I mean, these college athletes, this is, this is a big thing. They're going to, there's a percentage of them that are going to make it to the big leagues, right? They're going to go pro. You might have the opportunity to hold on to a couple of those pro players that are going to have massive, massive merch stores then. So you're, you're definitely and, and with, some, them with
1: some of them. I'm like, hey, they're getting a printable merch store. No thrills. It's just going to be simple. We're going to pop it up and down and just drop it for a couple days. and That's it, right? And for some of the ones that I I believe in a little bit more, yeah, I'll build them a custom website. Um, I might put a couple thousand dollars into it, you know? That's the kind of gamble you have to play into a little bit, um, especially in 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Bruce, are you guys seeing a spike in merch still with, like, back to school?
0: Um, It slows down a little bit during the summer. Because uh, it is so school and organization focused, but um, yeah, I mean, my guess is just like last year, it'll it'll start to ramp up. Well, last year's sales cycles were all over the board, but um, I'm sure in the fall, it's definitely gonna. I'm seeing more people start to again.
2: want to sign up for merch, though. At least on my calls throughout the days. That's to, you. To uh, be
0: honest with you, I would say, two thirds of shops, if not more, do not run stores regularly. Um, you know, they, I think more were during COVID and then they now are sort of getting back to what they're used to, which is just, you know, taking in wholesale orders and and pumping them out and doing a killer job there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as a sales cycle, it was like, eh, it's, you know, this is different. I mean, it's a new, it's a new sales channel, right? So if you had to learn, let's say you were all inbound sales and then now you're trying to be outbound sales. Well, of course, the first three months are going to suck and not work. And, like, you know, you don't have anything. You don't have sales scripts. You don't have what to say. You don't have like good process. You don't have anything. And so it's easy to revert back to saying, oh, okay, inbound's going good again. We don't need outbound anymore. I think it's such a good
2: hmm. and simple way to like get started, though. I'll talk to shops and they're like, oh, 100 bucks a month for it. I don't know. I'm like, do you, do you run a t shirt shop? You're telling me you can't sell 100 bucks worth of t shirts in a month to pay for that store? And when i put it like that they're always like well yeah i'm like try right simple simple thing that i did for for my shop sign and fury is i was like man we don't have any shop shirts like what the hell like we've years of printing we've got like shirts that i'll wear like branded shirts right for like our our, our our brand we didn't have shop shirts like there's no reason that every four to five weeks we can't have a design a shop shirt put it on the merch store and sell a few to to cover that merch store we started doing it a couple months ago it's more than covering the cost of the merch store every month. And it's it's fun. I get to like every four to five weeks, print 20, 30 shop shirts, give them, to, give them to friends, give them to you, right? Sell them, sell them online. I got friends that are actually buying them online too, which is awesome. It's just a simple thing It actually, if you're not already doing some sort of online sale, I think the merch store is like the prime opportunity at a low cost to get into it, right? I mean, sure, you can go to Shopify, 30 bucks per store, but there's a lot of setup, a lot that goes into that. It has its purpose. But... I think a merch store at hundred bucks a month. If if you're if you're printing goods and you run a store and you can't cover a hundred dollars of sales of t-shirts in a month to make up for that store, you should probably think a little bit harder about what you're doing because it's it's when be like oh hundred bucks a month, like what you can't you can't afford that. Well, come on, you're you're running a business. hundred bucks a month should be nothing, and then to have the opportunity to have more than that, have lots of stores going. Also, why not put a couple one two color shirts up, make some screen printed heat transfers. If they sell, they sell. If they don't, they don't. You're not really out anything, right? You spent. 20 minutes and you printed 20 transfers. And when they, when a sale comes through, you transfer it, you ship it. I think more people are starting to get into that now. So I'm seeing a lot more in, in my day-to-day people starting to get into merch. Maybe it's not the prime time to be using it because school's not in session, but and they're kind of finally catching on like, okay, there's a chance I could wake up in the morning with 20 more dollars, 40 more dollars. It's worth it, right? It, it's worth putting it up there and just seeing, promoting it, learning how to market that, go on Facebook, go to Instagram, start sharing those things. Maybe it can't be Steven's shop quite yet and, and be running all these these great merch stores, but you got to start somewhere, right? It is 2021.
1: We started our stores with Google online stores. Google. Ooh, Google not the merch,
0: Yahoo. Yahoo had one too.
1: And then Store Envy for a little bit. Um, oh, I used everyone in the plan. Big Cartel. Big Cartel. I did a PayPal store at one point. Um, Yeah. I should have bought Shopify stock like 10 years ago, but yeah, we all, it's sure. okay. Um, <laughs> it is okay. not a terror
0: right now. Got a really good question for ask anything today. You guys can email in podcasts at com, and we will research it. We will get back to you and we will bring it up during the show. This week's question is more about doing more with less. Um, Obviously, hiring is difficult. There's benefits uh, that are from COVID uh, till mid September, and um, people are having trouble hiring. Uh, you know, constantly, other people I hear is just saying, Hey, I post a job post. I used to get a bunch of applications. I get nothing. It's crickets, which is kind of funny um, in a uh, satirical way because you just get so excited to, you can afford to bring somebody else on and then nobody applies. But, how how do we turn this around and make it a positive thing or, or just be more efficient with what you have? Um, I, I got to imagine both of you guys, Matt, you know, obviously when you got stripped down during COVID, I'm sure you've got good things. fair I'm sure you've got really good things too. I'm just curious on your thoughts. You've got sales, art, production, um, post-production, everything.
1: Matt texted us this morning, you could probably eat while you poop.
2: I'm, I'm not going to read the text that Steven sent <laughs> because they were, they were way you could more appropriate than that. You could
1: do more with less. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot you can do. Uh, you can, you can hire graphics for your art department so that you can automate your entire art department. And I promise you, you'll never look back.
2: I want to, I want to pause there for a second because that is such a massive thing that people still don't seem to know exists, right? You need an artist, you need to make mock-ups, you need to make separations, you need to make proofs. You have to do this. That's usually a body at a computer. Sometimes it's the same body at a computer, small shop, they're at the computer and they're on press and they're in the dark room, right? If you can't find somebody to hire right now because they're getting benefits from the government, you can't afford what they want, there are entire systems, graphic source, that has those remote people doing it for you, right? You can pay less than you're going to pay to have somebody in your building and have about the same experience. They're going to have a pretty good batting average. Some things will be good. Some things won't be as good. you have to go back to the, go back to the drawing board, make, the, make adjustments to the steps, get back to press, make a new screen. But you have a body without having to have a body. That one right there is massive. And I get hit up at least two times a week asking, like, hey, where do I find a good separator? I'm trying to bring somebody in house. I, I mean, you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to do that right now, right? Because you can't hire anybody at the moment, and they have to train them. I'm, I'm not saying get rid of in-house artists. I don't want all my art friends to be like, "You're trying to take my job away from me." But you can have one in-house artist that kind of like manages that flow and get a lot more done, which normally would take two to three artists to have done in your art department. It's it's a, a production
1: artist. It's a production artist. It's someone to vector. It's someone to redraw. It's someone to digitize. Do all the nasty proofs you know, the, the, the simple steps that are just like, just clogging up your inbox and then it allows your artist to actually be a creative, right? What
0: is it? How does that process work in your Printavo account and everything like the back and forth with them?
1: So, um, I have, um, I've been with graphics for a year and change now and, um, we've got Jeannie on our team. She's on Skype with us where she works nine to five. Um, we can talk to her whenever we want. I can tell her to stop doing something and do something else if need be. But every action is listed in Printavo. So I need you to vector this and there'll be like a checklist for, hey, revector this, upload it, change the status. I need this digitized, go in, digitize it, upload it, change the status to complete. Proofs, mock-ups, SEPs, same way. For us, it's very linear. I've seen other shops do it with tasks, mm-hmm. but it's just call and response. The crazy part is the speed. I mean, let's just put it out there that we're talking like hours for SEPs. Like you put in a request at 9 a.m. by 10 a.m. it's SEP, and you're like, "Whoa, that's done." Art used to be a bottleneck in our shop, and it's been it's now like completely automated, and we are never looking back. I, I a lot I
2: a lot of what I've been doing Nick. with jobs mm. too, because I work with a lot of shops that are that are new to Printavo or maybe have been on Printavo. They're getting into GraphX, and I'm trying to work on standardizing that process. I've been working with GraphX actually on that exactly um, yeah we're, we've we're got we, we, oh, oh, good go ahead i was saying we're doing a lot more a lot more task oriented just because when we release the automations that can apply tasks and if tasks lists are completed having those triggers um a lot of the shops I, I wasn't necessarily a fan of having people have to finagle your statuses if they're not kind of worthy of well, finagling your statuses matt
1: matt thinks his Printavo runs better than mine i don't think Stephen. i know I'm just kidding. <laughs> the
0: duel.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, you you want to you lose your mind? Go look at Steven's Printavo. That's how you know his brain's bigger than mine because he actually can keep <laughs> track of all of it. I look at it and go, "What?" I start drooling. I lose an eye. Goes cross-eyed. Um, but we started going a lot more task-oriented, and, and you just literally make that graphics uh, employee the user, a user on your Printavo. So as it's going through, okay, this has to be vectorized. Add that task. This has to be redrawn. Add that task. This has to be uh, sept add that task. And it goes by the date you put. So now they've got a task list at all times. You can use the function in my account where it says, uh, email me if tasks that day or email me when tasks are signed. So you can automatically be emailed them to know you have a new task. And they just log in their Printavo account. They see their task. They do it. They upload. They follow directions. Like you said, Stephen, having very clear call to actions. Now Wait, you can have them what doing stuff what
0: much, about much faster. What about art approvals? Do they create that and send it and then handle changes or
1: in my shop they upload and then our basically production coordinator flips a status to send it to the customer just as a qc we probably could bypass that now but it's just it's routine just and in honest, case yeah myla just goes through and goes boop send the customer send the customer send the customer Got Oop, it. i don't like that left chest flip it back so she has a redo button in there and if something's hot on press they're on skype with us and there's sometimes we're all video chat and be like hey guys i can you tell me the order of this? If for some reason it's not printing right. And Rob might say, Ooh, put that on head too. be like, okay, got it. Thank you. So it's, it's just like having this like brain surgeons who are all artists and production artists, like in your back pocket at all times. Right. And, I know Supercharged. We, Supercharged yeah, arts supercharge, supercharge, supercharge your arts department. So yeah. let's let's keep going. What are other things you can do with less, um, Matt? I, I gave GraphX. You're up next.
2: I mean, this is this is kind of a low hanging fruit, but an obvious one that is a big, big one is using automations. Um, when when I first got into doing Zapier and things like that, I was watching Stevens' uh, YouTube video on how to make that that Google review one. That's a simple low hanging fruit that has massive, massive help. Since I started doing that, Stephen, we've been averaging two to three, five star reviews a week. We didn't even have any Google reviews before I started doing that. Cause I would, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like, be like, let me go ask for a review. Let me feel awkward about doing this. Let me re- remember to actually email them. Now when a job's put putting job complete. It's following that exact zap line. And we've been getting a lot more business. The amount of business we get now saying, oh, I found you on Google. We get one or two of those a week when that never existed. It was always word of mouth or like a friend I had or like return business. We're getting new business from local small businesses as well. We did a job for a bakery recently and it was like a a whim. They're like, oh, we want some shirts. They say flour on them. We ended up doing like a couple hundred shirts with like flour, butter, a bunch of different, they were awesome shirts. And that was all from them finding us on Google. So little automations, Zapier is a big one. Going to like art approvals, things like that too. The built-in automations in Brentavo. I just revamped this for, for Sound and Fury too because I was finding that a lot of times it'd be like a little, a little change on like art approval out, they would email back, oh, this looks great. Can you change this one little thing. Well, I didn't have an automation to then status change notification again back. I was having to like, okay, email here. He goes like, wow, I do this three, four times a week. It only takes three, four minutes every time I do it, but I'm doing it a lot. Why don't I just go ahead and make a new status that's like revised art approval, triggers a new email. All I got to do is go make those changes, upload that new mockup, click a button and move. Right. So those little things where you might not think, oh, it takes doesn't take that much time. It's a couple minutes here and there. That shit adds up. Right. A couple minutes here and there definitely adds up throughout the week and starts to be
1: a lot more. So I got any repetitive
2: things that you're doing that you can automate. You got to try to
1: automate. I'll give another one. Uh, A lot of customer education early in the sales process. Right. So um, a we made a one minute YouTube video on the on ordering from Campus Inc., and it's if you're just getting started, and I do like a, a buzz through in one minute of like, here how prices are going to work. Here are our turnaround times. Here are the things we offer. Like I just do, you know, like when you hop on a plane and watch your one minute thing of 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 United, we have that now. And um, in every in every status on Printavo, where the customer is getting notified, it's always telling them what's next. And I stole that from Sticker Mule. We'll say hey, the first step of the process is the order approval. Once you hit approve, you're going to be getting an art approval in two to three days. You know, um, If you don't get that, please reach out to us or make sure you check your spam filter or something like that. You know, And so I just keep them very engaged so that they're just like handheld through the process. So it lowers the amount of communication that we have to do and so much back and forth with our customer. And it feels like they're ordering Domino's pizza. I think our team likes that a lot more because they're not necessarily like we're not doing email overkill, you know, and we do that by using front and Slack and obviously printable automations, but educating the customer through the process, it took probably like a day for me to sit through and make all of them game changer for us. Uh, when it talks about the ordering process,
0: you talked about, uh, standardizing one of the five S's in two second lean is standardized best practices, labeling things. Um, Fair. I know you've got a lot of stuff on the floor and stickers and like, I've seen uh, Brett, when I was at Printed Threads, they have like, align the carts on the floor here. Like literally, this is press one's stack of shirts, next stack of shirts. And it's it's like in a, like an aisle. It's literally an aisle on the floor that says that. I mean, are there other things that you've put on the floor too or or labeled? How to zero out your press
1: or like how to turn knobs or...
2: Oh, no, your knob what, one is genius. Not enough shops do that too to help train train people. That's a yeah. What I the, think we what have the one, micro adjustments actually do? He's got them on on the press. So he turn this way, it goes this direction. Turn this way, it goes this direction. Everything. I always there. mess
1: it up. Yeah. And then the other one was like, what are the eight maintenance steps for the press every single time? Um, you know, you have to grease this, the zerk fittings, the whatever. And so when Wally came down and Matt came down, I was like, label them all out. We typed them up, we printed them, put them on the floor and now we know what maintenance is for each machine. Just little things Um, like that, you know?
0: There's a a quick video before we wrap up that I saw um, where he said, take your revenue and divide it by 2,000 hours you work, and that is the time that your hourly cost, like how much you're worth. So, you know, if you're a half a million dollar business, um, you are a $250 an hour employee. So if you're doing something that somebody else should be doing that's a $10 an hour employee, then you are literally costing yourself $240 per hour, roughly, right? Um, which definitely, I think, makes you rethink about your your whole day a lot of times. <laughs> like, what the hell am I doing?
2: I got to get off this podcast. I got work to do. <laughs> I got a 10 o'clock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Heck yeah. Well, um, Awesome. Guys, write in podcast.printavo.com with your questions. We'd love to be able to answer them. Thank you guys so much for being able to join. We're always trying to make this episode a little bit better and more helpful for you to be able to grow your business. I'm Bruce from Printavo. We will see you guys again next Thursday.